greatest nation in the world. A breath of fresh air. Common sense. Very impressive. He's articulate and he knows exactly what we need. Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Solutions for a better America. This is your host, Herman Cain. Thank you for joining us because we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to give you the facts. We want you to be informed and inspired to help make this a better America. Breaking news. Breaking news. Every day with Herman Cain and the most connected man in Washington, Jamie Dupree. Hello, Jamie. Hey, Herman. How you doing today? Good. Do you believe the three reasons that Harry Reid gave as to why he was not retiring, which were, first, he wasn't retiring because of his injury. He wasn't retiring because he wanted to... He was in the minority, and I can't remember the third one. Do you believe those? Or that um, uh, that he was worried about not being reelected? Maybe. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't believe that one. I think that he. I. I. I mean, I really think what happened is in the aftermath of his injuries and the serious injuries that he got from his workout accident, falling off that training machine. His, he's lost eyesight in his right eye, mm. and you know he's had a couple surgeries on that. Physically, he's always been in very good shape. Uh, for somebody who's up in his 70s, but I, I just think that that had to weigh on him, and he acknowledged as much yeah. in the video that he released today. I mean, he's uh, he's been around here for a while. He was first elected to the Senate in 1986. He was elected to the House, I believe, in 1978, if I remember correctly. My dad got to know him back in the early 1960s when Reed was actually a police officer on Capitol Hill and worked the night shift while he was going to law school in D.C. And so he's been around in a number of uh, fashions uh, through the years. And, you know, I, I often joke that maybe the subtitle of the book I write about this place is going to be One Term Too Many. And because uh, I've seen too many people run for that one extra term. Yeah. And in a sense, I'm sort of I'm sort of pleased to see somebody not get carried out of here looking really bad uh, because he certainly um, he has he has not looked that well with some of his injuries recently. So the bottom line, Harry Reid deciding to leave, he'll still be here for another 22 months. But it does a number of things. It can it uh, it shows that some veteran Democrats have decided the, they, it's time for them to go, uh, and it makes, in some ways, makes their effort more difficult to win back the Senate. Nevada is not going to be an easy seat for the Democrats to keep in the U.S. Senate. You've already had uh, three very senior Democrats decide not to run: Barbara Mikulski of Maryland, Harry Reid of Nevada, and uh, and Barbara Boxer of California. So that's three people who have been around here for a long, long time now deciding to hang up their legislative cleats. This is a it's a big deal, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's funny because in the aftermath of his injuries, Herman, a lot of us were asking in the hallways, are you going to run again? And uh, Reed was very direct. No, I'm, you know, I'm, there's, I'm not backing off. And he's a boxer. You know, he did that when he's young, and he's always had that sort of attitude. But I guess he decided that this one would just be a little too much. Assuming that the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, and if they... The Democrats continue to go by the rule of seniority. Who would become the minority leader? Well, uh, it's not seniority doesn't judge who then becomes the minority leader. The the leading candidates would be Dick Durbin, the assistant majority leader, uh, assistant minority leader who's from Illinois, and then also a lot of people look at Charles Schumer of New York as a possible candidate. Uh, the two of them uh, have uh, sort of been the heir apparent to Reed over the years. You know, some talk about Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if uh, if leadership elections are really bizarre kinds of things because they they they're part seniority, they're part friendships. You know, I mean, 
somebody can get elected just because they're buds with other people, and then sometimes it just it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time. I would say Durbin and Schumer are the two most likely people to assume Reed's mantle and become the Democratic leader. But now we've got a little time. You know, somebody joked this morning around here. Wonder how quickly Durbin and uh, Schumer were calling other people this morning, asking for their support. Uh, and and then you got to think. You know, who else might retire? Who else might be defeated? Who are the new people uh, that might come in as Democrats the next time? So there's a lot of different things. But I would put Durbin and Schumer at the top of the list right now. They're, uh, Schumer is more of a household name than Durbin is, uh, but both are insiders here on the Hill. I get it. Well, that was the big political news. Certainly was, today. yeah. And uh, the other thing, I guess, would be the fact that the Senate did pass a blueprint budget also. They did. Uh, just about 3.30 this morning was when they finally wrapped up uh, what is known as the Voterama. As they started voting around noontime yesterday, I think they made it about 60 votes in all was what they did. The final vote was 52 to 46 for that GOP budget outline. And we had a little dose of uh, 2016 politics, Herman, on the last vote because the two Republicans who voted against the budget were Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. As uh, Cruz uh, put out in a statement today, I cannot support a budget that claims to balance in the year 2025 by utilizing revenue increases generated by Obamacare taxes. And he is correct about that. The Senate Republican plan would use, in part, the money raised from the taxes in the president's uh, health law, really? even though that they claim that they would repeal that health law. And some of the same is done in the House plan as well. Really? Yep. I did not know that. Yeah, little gimmick. Yeah, it is a gimmick. It is a gimmick. So, But Cruz put out a statement. What about Rand Paul? I haven't seen a statement from Paul, but I would assume it was much the same. And, yeah. uh, you know, look, it's a, it's a situation where they're trying to sort of set themselves apart a little as well when you look at it. And, uh, you know, voting for it, Marco Rubio, the Florida senator, Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina senator. So and just about every big vote is going to have a little, um, you know, twist of presidential politics involved with it in coming months. Right. Um, John McCain uh, came out pretty uh, strongly about the fact that our so-called friends don't trust us when he was talking about the Yemen situation and the Arabs are now going out and they are starting to do airstrikes and things of this nature. Is there much talk in the hallways up there about this Yemen situation and how it has spiraled out of control? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think the whole, the broader Middle East situation is really something right now. I mean, when you look at it, you've got a real battle beginning to develop between the Iranians and other Arab nations. Right. Because what's going on in Yemen, for those who are not uh, that familiar about it, is the group that's forced the Yemeni leader out is a, a group of rebels that are backed by the Iranians and the right. Tehran regime. So then you have the Saudis and the Egyptians mobilizing their own 10-nation international force and talking about sending in troops. Uh, I mean, you know, when you think about the fact that we've had planes from the United Arab Emirates and Egypt making airstrikes in Libya against Islamic State forces and fighting going on inside Iraq, there, where even the U.S. airstrikes have aggravated some groups that are leaning more toward Iran, you know, there is a broader thing going on here more than just in, in, in Yemen. True, that, true. Uh, that could, you know, be a tinderbox long term, you know, in Syria as well and everything. And it's, uh, it's a messy situation that has no easy answers. And I think for a lot of Republicans, they see the U.S. as being too withdrawn, in a sense, from all of this. And the, the finger-pointing is going to only escalate. And look, if, uh, if, if the Saudis are going to invade Yemen... 
they, they've got troops evidently massed on the border. The U.S. has been helping them with intel in terms of trying to find targets inside. Uh, you know, you have the threat, obviously, of, uh, of terrorism as well being generated out of some of these areas. This is a real, um, uh, a real crazy time uh, with the Middle East, and obviously a lot of Republicans would point the finger of blame on the foreign policy of the Obama administration. I don't know if you know the story about the Obama administration has declassified Israel's nuclear program material uh, concerning that material and this sort of thing. Why, why would they do something like that? I haven't seen anything point? about that. Yeah, um, that was a report about that they've now declassified Israel's nuclear program. So now everybody everybody knew that, that Israel had nuclear weapons and a nuclear capability. And why they would now do this is just, I think, is just another poke in the eye uh, on the part of this administration to Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, obviously, uh, there is an awful lot of uh, of bad blood between the Obama administration and the Netanyahu government, and certainly, um, uh, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. No, it's not going away. Well, the back to the deliberate tragedy of that plane that crashed. It appears as if some other countries are doing some of the things that the U.S. has done in terms of cockpit rules. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I was I was sort of interested, just my own curiosity, wondering what the rules were here. The Airline Pilots Association yesterday emphasizing that in the U.S., when it comes to passenger jets, and I thought about this from flying around too many places in the last couple of elections, yeah, you have to keep two people in the cockpit at all times when it comes to U.S. passenger jets. Uh, if, if, if the pilot or the co-pilot needs to go to the bathroom or something like that, then there is a procedure that goes on during the flights where a flight attendant would have to go into the cockpit to, in a sense, hold that place for the one pilot that gets out. So unlike in Europe, and I know obviously that's changing in some of those airlines, uh, we don't have that same situation. You're not supposed to allow that where only one person is in the cockpit at a time. And certainly with questions about the mental state of uh, this co-pilot and more, it raises an awful lot of questions. Do we have enough oversight? Uh, how how often can you check? Or even if you do check, Herman, do you really find out the real answer? I mean, I think that's a, that is also an issue as well. And they're going to continue to investigate that because you're right. I mean, he hid his illness according to one report. How do you how do you stop that? Okay. Yeah. So if you really want to, I mean, that's that's yeah. the terrible thing about it. And and you know, I've been listening to some of the people talking. Sort of, uh, what ways could you get around that? I mean, you know, since 9/11, think about it. It's all been mainly about reinforcing the cockpit doors and keeping the threat from in the cabin getting into the cockpit. You didn't really think about the threat inside the cockpit, but that suicide pilot or mass murder pilot, whatever you want to call it, that can be a threat as well. We haven't really heard much up here on the Hill about that. I think everybody is sort of like uh, here in Congress, like everybody else, just amazed that that actually seems to be the story that's coming out of France. That was an idea floated not too long ago about uh, airline pilots being able to carry guns or weapons on airplanes. Pretty what sure a, they what can. A, whatever happened to that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, pilots, uh, they have to be approved. Uh, right. But uh, I believe that uh, the, the Transportation Security Administration, I think that uh, if you have to go through, I think, training and more, but you can be uh, and allowed to carry a gun. And also on a lot of planes, we don't realize it, but there's also air marshals on a lot of them as well who are armed. Oh, I have sat next to some, to, next to some air marshals, and they're pretty cool. 
you don't know that they're an air marshal until you get ready to get off. At least I found out about it. But uh, but no, that's and especially going into D.C. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've flown into D.C. dozens of times, and I know that there were air marshals on there. Oh yeah, pretty much every time you come into National Reagan National Airport, right there along the Potomac, yes, there is an air marshal on that plane. You're absolutely right. Well, how how are your NCAA brackets doing? You know, actually, uh, if we weren't playing tonight's games, I'd be okay. But everybody that's playing tonight, I pretty much don't have any of that. My my left side of my bracket's doing really well, but otherwise, uh, I'm in trouble. Yes, but uh, should be some good games. That's Thanks. okay. Just want to have a good weekend. We'll you see go. you, Herman. Thanks a lot, Jamie. You're listening to the Herman Cain Show. Putting big government on alert with trusted solutions for a better America. He's honest, open, and just tells it like it is. Herman Cain. Coming up, rapid fire. 877-310-2276.